are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, April the 18th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we like to take a look at the readings for this coming Sunday, which is the fourth Sunday of Easter. And during the Easter season, there isn't really an Old Testament reading. Readings are from the book of Acts which for this fourth Sunday is Acts chapter 4. The epistle is 1 John 3, and the Holy Gospel is John 10. In the past, this has been known as Good Shepherd Sunday. And so that's what we're going to be taking a look at, this John chapter 10, verse 11 and following, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now, I'm not sure many of us think about what the word good there means. Does it mean he's morally good or he's good in the sense that he can do what is necessary? What, what does it mean that he is good? To answer that, we're going to look at scripture, interpret scripture. We're going to first of all look at the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis. And then we're going to look at the verses prior to our text from John 10, verse 11. In Genesis, God creates everything in six 24-hour days. And do you notice what he says about them as each creation is completed? And this is good. Now, what does that Hebrew word mean? It means that items are created and are doing what God intended them to do. It was only when the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden took place that things no longer were good. And all of creation suffered for that. In the Garden of Eden, there were no hurricanes, there were no tornadoes, there were no floods. But after the sin of Adam and Eve, all of the universe ended up being in problems. So we're looking forward to the last day when in heaven, everything will be restored and be good. So when it says that Jesus is the good shepherd, what that is referring to is that he is accomplishing that for which his mission was called for by the Father. And we know that from looking at the verses just before our text, John 10, verses 1. Jesus says, Truly, 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 I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So that, that's a good shepherd. He doesn't climb over in order to steal sheep. He goes through the door, the sheep recognize him, and they follow him out to proper pasture. 
So when the sheep hear his voice, he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Now that's just simply saying that in the Bible, the voice of Jesus, those are the words of scripture. And when you read those words of scripture, you follow them. For example, you may be really concerned about whether you're going to heaven because of your sins. And then Jesus speaks his voice through the apostle Paul in Ephesians that we are saved by grace, not through works, lest anyone should boast. And so we realize that we have from the voice of Jesus himself an assurance of our salvation. Now, in contrast to that good shepherd, verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. You see, the disciples really had a problem understanding Jesus because it wasn't until after the resurrection and Pentecost that they came to a fuller understanding of what he was saying. So Jesus again said to them, verse 7, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So those are the verses prior to our text and gives a good understanding of what it means to refer to Jesus as the good shepherd. He is the one that accomplishes the mission as God the Father intended him to do. He is the one through whom believers enter into the kingdom of God, the Holy Christian Church. And we listen to the voice of Jesus and reject the voice of false prophets. So that begins verse 11 of our text, when Jesus continues, I am the good shepherd. Now, if he's a good shepherd, which means he is going to fulfill the mission for which he is sent, what was that mission? The very next sentence, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We remember that that was true for David before he became king. He fought for the sheep. Did he not kill a bear and a lion that were about to devour the sheep? David is regarded as a good shepherd. And that's why Jesus is from the house of David. He continues being a good shepherd. 
Now, what other shepherds were there? Jesus talks about them. These are just hired hands. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Now, if he was hired to take care of the sheep, why does he flee? Verse 13, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, we see that in various situations in life where people will not really sometimes take care of things that they own or that they're really over. They may flee from robbers. They may not do a good job in keeping another property of someone else safe. All kinds of things that happen. They may even steal from the person who hired them. This is in contrast to the good shepherd. And he's not a good shepherd only because he does the mission for which he was called. In verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Now, how does that come about? That doesn't come about by the sheep doing good works. No, it comes about because the trust that the sheep have in the voice of their shepherd. When he says something, they believe it. Talk to pastors and you will find that that happens many times. A pastor goes to see one of his members at the hospital. The member may be going into surgery. The member may be having a baby or some other situation. What does a pastor do? Does he pretend he's a doctor and says, well, here's the medicine you should use and you'll be fine? No. He says the voice of Jesus from the Bible. He uses appropriate Bible verses. In fact, one of the best books you can buy, and Concordia Publishing House has this, is a book about using Bible verses for specific situations. The whole book is just filled with Bible verses. And you would look up what happens when you get unemployed. What happens when a loved one dies? Uh, What happens when the person you like leaves you? There are many, many, many situations where we suffer in life. And there are many Bible verses that all of them are the voice of Jesus giving us comfort and help. It's a distinction between law and gospel. We, We don't go to a, let's say, surgery and somebody is being treated by cancer and we don't pray, well, Heavenly Father, we know this person has got cancer because he's been smoking for so long. 
Pray that he will stop from smoking. Amen. No, we don't use accusation. We use comfort. And that comfort will be that God will never leave you nor forsake you. When you call upon him in the day of trouble, he will answer you. And whatever his answer is will always be for your good. So we leave comfort with the individuals in a hospital bed because they're afraid of the future. That's what the Good Shepherd does. He takes care of his sheep. Now, Jesus gives a parallel when he says, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And then he says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. What does it mean that he knows the Father? He knows the will of the Father. And that will was for him to go to Jerusalem, be crucified for the sins of the whole world. He knew that was the will of the Father. And prior to that, he took three years in doing healings, etc., so individuals will realize, yes, he is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. In fact, that's very important that Jesus does that. Because remember, he was on the cross until the time when all the prophecies were fulfilled, the last one being from Psalm 22, where he would thirst. And until that happened, he did not give up his life. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Now, verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now, Jesus is speaking to his Jewish disciples when he says that. Who are the other sheep? Well, they, they could be Jews that have not yet been converted, but they definitely are also Gentiles. And we know that Gentiles are part of God's plan. We found that out in the book of Jonah. When Jonah was sent to a Gentile city, Nineveh, and he refused to go because they were enemies of Israel. He did not believe that they deserved being forgiven. And he was really angry with God when God forgave him, forgave them. And therefore, he sat on a hill, and God had a plant grow to shade him, and then the plant withered, and he no longer had shade. And Jonah was angry about not having the shade, but he wasn't angry about the 50,000 children in Nineveh. And therefore, God was not happy with Jonah. But God did make it clear that the Gentiles are also part of his plan of salvation. They are the sheep, not yet of the fold. And he says, I must bring them 
also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This destroys the notion that a person gets into the flock by his own choice. It is a false teaching that you invite Christ into your heart, and that is the way that you are saved. No, it is impossible for an unbeliever to want to have Christ in their heart because he is an unbeliever. Unbelievers don't want to have anything to do with Christ. So what changes them? Well, take a look at Saul before he became the apostle Paul. He was on the road to Damascus to put more Christians to death, to persecute them. And had it not been for Jesus coming to him and also making sure that he was baptized, Saul would not have had the faith that changed everything. Nobody can say that Paul invited Christ into his heart. So therefore, this idea of decision theology, you make a decision in order to be saved, is ridiculous because you are unable to make that decision. I've talked about a person goes swimming in the ocean and suddenly a tidal wave comes and they are drowned and they are brought down beneath the water and they will soon drown. They don't have the strength to be saved. That's the condition of a person prior to salvation. And then someone jumps in the water and pulls them to safety. This is the message of Christianity. If you ever ask yourself in heaven, who gets all the credit for my salvation? The answer will be none other than Jesus himself. He gets all the credit because he did everything in order to get your sins forgiven. In other words, on Judgment Day, there will be one flock, and it will be comprising all believing Jews and Gentiles, and one shepherd, Jesus, who is also the judge on Judgment Day. Verse 17 of John 10, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. Oh, there's so much that can be preached on just that sentence. First of all, when did Jesus lay down his life? One would think that he's talking about the crucifixion. No doubt he did lay down his life at the crucifixion. But it began at his baptism when he was baptized by John the baptizer with a baptism of repentance. John was totally confused. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, you need to baptize me. You do not need to be baptized by me, said John the baptizer. But Jesus said, no, it was necessary in order that all righteousness might be fulfilled. Why did God the Father at that point say from the clouds, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Because by being baptized by a baptism of repentance, 
Jesus was taking on the sins of the whole world. He became the greatest sinner so that when he died on the cross, he died for the sins of everyone speaking to the Father. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. The other important point of verse 17, Jesus says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. It's unfortunate there are some English translations that when Jesus is predicting what is going to happen in Jerusalem at the cross, he says that he will be killed. That is a wrong translation because he is not going to be killed by anyone. He is going to make the decision when he dies. He is going to lay down his own life. Even Pontius Pilate was astounded when he was told that Jesus had already died because it takes days to die on the cross. But Jesus died in six hours. And why did he? Because he made a decision to die when all of the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled, the last being, I thirst. There was no longer any need to be on the cross. So what did Jesus do? He did what he says in verse 18. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. In other words, I have the will to lay down my life, to die. And he says, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Now, this is important to understand, that when we're talking about the crucifixion, nobody kills Jesus. He lays down his own life. Being God, he could have stayed on the cross for centuries, alive, but he did not. The sword that pierced him was done after he died because blood and water came out, which indicates that he is already dead. The other two thieves had to have their arms and legs broken while they were on the cross so they could not breathe properly, and they suffocated to death. Jesus laid down his life of his own accord, but he also had the authority to take it up again. And where did he get that authority? This charge I have received from my father. So on the day of the resurrection, there's no doubt that God raised Jesus from the dead. But Jesus himself is God. So he raised himself from the dead. But there are other passages in the Bible where it says the Father 
also raised him from the dead, as did the Holy Spirit. So all three were involved in his resurrection from the dead, but Jesus himself did it. So how's that possible if he was dead? Well, remember on Good Friday, one of his last words to the Father, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Jesus was a human being. He died as every believing human being dies, namely, a separation of the spirit from the body. The body was placed in the tomb. The spirit was in heaven with the thief on the cross in paradise. And from there, Jesus raised his body from the dead. Now that's the good shepherd. That's really what Jesus means when he refers to himself as the good shepherd. He follows the mission which the Father instructed him to do, including being born of a virgin, suffering under Pontius Pilate, being crucified, dying, being buried. But then he rose from the dead, and he will return on the day of judgment to bring all of his flock into heaven with him. I'm Tom Baker. Uh, You've been listening to an analysis of John chapter 10. And on tomorrow's Long Gospel with Mark Smith, the hymn will be, The King of Love My Shepherd Is. Join with us for tomorrow's hymn. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.